Good afternoon. Welcome to the Healthy Indoors Show. I'm your host, Bob Krell, publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine. This afternoon, we're tackling a fairly uh, important topic, I believe, that I think is, is in the eyes of many, is, is somewhat overlooked or in the back of your minds. We'll be talking about asbestos and uh, just the, the current state of affairs. I think, you know, for many of you out there, you might think, well, asbestos obviously is banned. It's not in the United States. You know, we're cleaning up the legacy asbestos. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not a current problem. It's a problem that we've got under control. So with us with us today, um, joining us for this discussion, we have Linda Reinstein, who's the uh, founder of the Asbestos Disease Awareness Organization. And also we have Brent Kynock, who's the uh, founder president of Kynock Environmental Management. And he's also the uh, management uh, company for the Environmental Information Association. And of course, in the co-pilot seat, Hayward Scores, uh, healthy building scientist, Joe Madash. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Hey. Greetings. So, um, yeah, what prompted me to uh, set up this show is, you know, we were all together oh, about a month ago, right, on the EIA uh, virtual conference. And um, you know, watching Linda's uh, presentation with, you know, Brent was involved with that. And I, I just really, you know, I was taken aback by the fact that it, it just seems like we're not moving forward the way we should to, to deal with this, you know, real life threat. Um, so, you know, Linda, I guess let's first, let, let me have you just give us a quick overview of your organization and how you got here, because many in the audience probably don't know your story. And Sure. Happy to share. But first, I want to thank you for allowing me to come on today because you're right. It's a really important topic. So in 2003, my husband, Alan, was diagnosed with mesothelioma. And like some of your listeners, they may not be familiar with the disease, be able to pr pronounce it. And I would have fallen into that box. So when I first learned that uh, what the disease was caused from and the treatment options and the, and the prognosis, it was terrifying to know that Alan had been ex exposed to asbestos some way, somehow. Uh, he was diagnosed with an aggressive terminal cancer and in, our daughter was just 10. And the real life story, I share the details because people need to understand there's a face behind these statistics. And Alan is just one of like 40,000 Americans die every year. Alan elected to have a radical surgery and there are many people that are not candidates for surgery. They actually removed a rib, resected his left lung, stripped off his pericardium and surgically replaced his diaphragm all for more time. So for those people who possibly don't have the medical insurance, the infrastructure for someone to care for them, these, these aren't even an option for them. Alan fought a three-year battle. Finally, it attacked his, his remaining lung, his right lung, and he died with our, our then 13-year-old daughter and me by his side. And it's devastating to see empty chairs and calendars go, go empty. And Alan's birthday, obviously, uh, is going to be on October 10th. And, you know, we always try to honor his memory and never forget. But that's Alan's story and Brent's met some many of our warriors is just one of, of hundreds of thousands of people who've died since EPA tried to ban asbestos and failed. So as a result of Alan's diagnosis, we started, we co-founded an organization called the Asbestos Disease Awareness Organization or short ADIO. And Doug Larkin was um, my partner at the time. He, his stepfather had mesothelioma. We felt that if people couldn't understand what asbestos was, where it might be, how could they prevent exposure and how could lawmakers ban asbestos? So that's what we've done. Doug sadly died of ALS about three years ago, but we've stayed strong for 16 years working on awareness, education, prevention, and then of course policy that will um, you know, help to work to mitigate and eliminate 
all asbestos cause diseases. For your listeners, I wanna make sure it's very clear because the 11 o'clock news is misleading. ADO does not make any uh, legal referrals. That is not what we do. We're all about education, advocacy, and community. Excellent. Brent, I'm going to have you do a quick intro of yourself because you, you have uh, kind of a storied past. You, you've been in the industry a long time and uh, have worn multiple hats or continue to wear multiple hats. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's very true, Bob, and thank you. Uh, let me first talk about the Environmental Information Association. I'm the managing director of that association, and it's, uh, it's a group of professionals involved in uh, remediation, of uh, not only asbestos, but lead paint, uh, radon, mold, uh, indoor air quality problems from, from buildings. And our mission is to collect, generate, and disseminate information about environmental issues uh, in buildings. And we try and keep our members informed about uh, regulatory changes, uh, updates, uh, what's happening uh, even in local jurisdictions as well as the federal. And we provide a great forum for, for interaction among like-minded professionals. And as you mentioned at the outset of the show, I also run uh, an industrial hygiene and environmental engineering business uh, called uh, uniquely Kynock Environmental <laughs> Management. And, uh, and, and uh, we do just exactly what, what, uh, what I described, environmental engineering and industrial hygiene. And I do so, want to uh, give a big shout out to Linda and the Asbestos Disease Awareness Organization. I, I had the great pleasure to meet uh, Alan, her husband, before he left us, and he is uh, was a was a fine gentleman, uh, and the, the organization uh, just does a beautiful job of providing uh, a, a landing spot for both persons and families uh, that are dealing with asbestos-related disease. Uh, a great source of information for these families, and also just a great source of of comfort and and sharing. And uh, Linda, you guys do an amazing job, and I'm I'm pleased to be uh, to be involved with you. Thank you for all your help, Brent. So, addressing the elephant in the room, asbestos is still not banned in the United States. How is that even possible? Well, do you want to wrestle that elephant first, Brent? Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll take a stab at it, and then you can go, Linda. It it is it is truly amazing that we have nearly 70 countries around the world that have banned asbestos, yet the United States uh, can't seem to uh, find its way to ban this, this material that kills up to 40,000 people a year. And, and if, if you think about the, the, the money and the effort this country spends in battling things like coronavirus, yet we, and, and we have asbestos, an asbestos-related disease, which is 100% preventable, yet we find ways to not ban asbestos instead of finding ways to ban asbestos. Brent, can you can we uh, give, give the audience up to date in terms of most people don't know what briefly happened in the 90s that it, it was banned for kind of about what less than two years and then the industry said wait a minute this is an amazing product that we must have and then suddenly Congress had to you know, re redo what he just said, and then they went back on themselves. And then even recently, the Trump administration had made some amendments to say that, yes, it's okay to have asbestos. And I have a, I can bring up a graphic. There's a, hundreds of things in our homes still today in our homes that actually have asbestos in it. Um, and that there's lots of alternatives, but yet we still keep coming back to something that is so hazardous. So why don't you explain briefly as to, that it, it was taken away and how did it come back? 
Sure, absolutely. Linda, you, you seem like you might want to take that one. Well, I mean, Brent and I've worked together for 16 years, I think almost 16 years, Brent. So the reality is nine out of 10 Americans think asbestos has been banned. This is the most misunder misunderstood carcinogen, I think, in home schools and workplaces. And it's because the latency period is 10 to 50, five, five oh years. And there is liability in courtrooms for those who have injured someone by an asbestos-caused disease. So those factors all come into play like, what is it, where is it, what do I do, who's responsible? Wait, I was exposed, can I go back far enough? So litigation and confusion has played into the scenario about what happened in 89 when the EPA did ban asbestos, and it was overturned by a very conservative Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. But all that sounds like, okay, so that's kind of slam dunk, but the, what it left behind was a residual misunderstanding and sadly, a, a disconnect between asbestos and those who are exposed. Um, only five products became regulated at that time. And last year, Britt was very involved. Well, not just last year, you've been involved for 16 years, but last year we were involved with the EPA so-called SNR, Significant New Use Rule. And I think, Joe, that might be what you're talking about. So in efforts to appear like the Trump administration is banning asbestos, they introduced a SNR, which would ban obsolete items. And that just creates more confusion. So where we are today in Congress is we have a bill named after my late husband that represents the hundreds of thousands of Allens. It's called the Allen Reinstein Ban Asbestos Now Act. Um, believe it or not, industry still pushes back. There is hundreds of tons of asbestos imported every year for one primary uh, business. It's called the chloralkali industry and they produce and manufacture industrial chlorine and caustic soda. So our message of not having a ban not only is confusing, it's outrageous for Americans, but we send a message as Brent talked about the other countries that have banned asbestos nearly 70. We send a message like it's okay in Russia and Brazil, you guys keep mining asbestos. We will send our US dollars to help prop up that industry because we're willing to use it. So there's uh, many different facets that's to the big why it wasn't, it was overturned, but it is really about money, power and politics. Um, and I'm really proud that ADO doesn't, we're not lobbyists, we're not K Street lobbyists, we don't, we don't, the only currency that we have to exchange on Capitol Hill is our gratitude. Uh, and we're motivated because it's morally and ethically the right things to do. But it's still a problem. You know, last week, we hit, we hit another speed bump, I'll say. Um, and it shows that we're just not there. If we could just get users to understand their safer substitutes, which we're very close to doing. If we could have our homes, like for instance, Bob, your your site is so important because people ask me all the time, what do I do? I found asbestos in my kitchen. Who do I go for help? And I always contact Brent because we have a working relationship with EIA and they're a fabulous uh, organization. But the average person, homeowner, teacher or worker, doesn't know what to do. And I think our government has made it very convoluted and complicated to find simple information. And that's why we built a website called ADAO No Asbestos, K-N-O-W, and I'll pop it into the chat. But we felt the disconnect was so strong. Um, and we live in one of the, the richest countries in the world, and yet people don't understand and teachers are being exposed and, um, oh, oh, thanks. Hey, that was fast, Joe, thanks. 
So that's that's kind of the big why on what happened. I just spoke at a law school yesterday to second year law students, and no one can believe that this has really happened. Um, and they're the the young students just think it's outrageous that the government has allowed this man-made di disaster to continue. And I'm sure all four of you, all three of you, would agree with me that it is outrageous. Yeah, and and Joe, uh, kind of going back to your original question, uh, and Linda touched on the dates. So in 1989. Um, uh, the EPA came out with a, with a comprehensive ban, but it was overturned two years later, 1991, by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. We do have some uses of asbestos that have been banned uh, in this country, uh, specifically uh, thermal system insulation, uh, insulating of boilers or hot water heaters or piping, and spray applied fireproofing, trowel applied fireproofing, and decorative finishes that have asbestos. Those those are among some of the uh, uh, most frequent uses of asbestos that have been banned, but we still have a lot of other materials that have not been banned. What, what was interesting is the, uh, uh, when that ban was overturned by the court, they simply said that, that EPA had not followed the rules laid out in the Toxic Substances Control Act in, in order to affect a ban uh, because uh, uh, they, they hadn't followed some of the procedures that were part of that regulation. Well, in 2016, our Congress uh, passed some amendments to the Toxic Substances Control Act, which made it a lot easier for EPA to, uh, to do this. And in, in, in short, uh, back in the 80s, uh, EPA was faced with coming up with the least burdensome method uh, for controlling exposure, and the court ruled they had not done that. And so the financial aspect of it has now been taken out of the Toxic Substances Control Act. And if it's dangerous, it's dangerous and it needs to be banned or controlled or removed. Well, the, the, the interesting thing, though, and, and the reason I said we keep finding ways to not ban asbestos is what EPA has done so far uh, with asbestos is uh, they've come up with a very convoluted uh, draft risk assessment uh, on asbestos, which has all sorts of holes and problems with it. And they enacted this thing that Linda mentioned to you, the, the SNR, the significant new use rule, uh, which in essence says, if you're going to start using asbestos in this country, you need to tell us first that you're going to do it, if you're going to import a product or something. So EPA is relying on manufacturers or distributors to self-report, which I think we could all agree is just not going to happen. Right. Because I know you, Bob, uh, if you drive over the speed limit, the first thing you do is pull up next to a police officer and say, sir, I just e exceeded the speed limit. Please issue me a, a ticket. Clearly, well, but I, mean, I think there's, there's, we have to also delineate, right, for the audience. I mean, I think many people think of asbestos as a legacy-only situation, right? We have asbestos that's existing, but we're still bringing asbestos into this country every day. And, and I, I think that's something that I think the average person doesn't realize that. So, so this is this is an ongoing some. battle. Well, the other one it, that I want to give an exception to is that my son's in the military. He's in the Coast Guard and uh, ships. M military is an exception to uh, most of those EPA regulations that if you're in the military, the government can do whatever they want to the environment that the, you know, our service members are in because they think it's the you know a requirement to have certain conditions. So many people that are in the Navy or the Coast Guard, anybody on a ship is still exposed to 
asbestos, those those items were not banned um, as they are on other ships. So there still is a, a disconnect as to what these things are doing to uh, a variety of people that are exposed to them. They're still able to install asbestos wrap on a ship. Those are the kind of things that's crazy um, for what we think of as being protecting ourselves and protecting our military. Precisely. Hey Joe, tell your tell your son thank you for serving our country because that you, that yeah. means a lot to all yeah. of us. Yeah, and um, I, I warned him I about that is to be cautious. You know, yeah. Tell him to ask him to take some pictures, and I, I won't put a name <laughs> to it. Okay. Um, I think as far as a ban, sometimes people are possibly have a, a, a shorter knowledge on a smaller knowledge on what does a ban mean. Yes, stopping the imports and use is huge, but as you guys have already talked about and validated, legacy exposure is enormous. So. Well, part of our bill, the Allen Reinstein Ban Asbestos Now Act, we'll just refer to it as HR 1603 for the moment because it's primarily in the House, that actually calls for a study like the EPA did in 84 to look at homes, schools, and buildings to determine is it friable or non-friable because our firefighters and others go into burnings and with climate change, not to scare your audience, but I live in California and, and we've had to keep our doors and windows closed because of the air quality is so dangerous and we live in, in a beach community. So imagine what the firefighters are enduring and those, those red residents, but we have fires. We're waiting for Hurricane Delta to hit. So if the structures are contaminated with asbestos and the owner doesn't know or the teachers don't know when they implode or burn, that many times obviously people are then exposed whether or not it's during the incident or when they go back to clean up and look for treasures. So that's what I think ADO and EIA have done well. And, and Bob, we should build out what we do with your, with your healthy indoors too. And Joe, but we have to bring awareness to those people who could be exposed, make it easy. Like we have diagrams that show where could asbestos be in your home, right? It's the boilers, it's your attic insulation. Um, so in our bill, we would have a better idea if the bill passes and was enacted, where is asbestos in homeschools and buildings? It also in the bill requires companies, and I think this is really important. I've called it right to know for 10 years or longer. Um, the right to know is important for us as consumers and voters. We deserve to know who is importing asbestos and where is it being used? And our bill calls for a short-term look back and go forward where these companies would have to disclose to the EPA, you know, what are you doing and why are you doing it and where is it? And then we could make those business decisions not to invest in XYZ or buy those products. Brent, share that story about without a ban, how people have taken it out and what happens when they replace materials. Oh, sure. Sure. You know, it's uh, it, it, and that's not a it's not an uncommon uh, story. We, we had uh, during the uh, Environmental Information Association virtual conference a few weeks ago, we had uh, uh, one of our attendees uh, during during one of the chat sessions described that his company had been involved in uh, asbestos removal uh, in a building uh, and that then materials were put back in to replace uh, the asbestos that had been removed. And years later, when the uh, uh, there was a fire in the building uh, and they did some testing, they found out that the new materials they had put back in also still contained asbestos. So a building owner had spent uh, literally millions of dollars to remove the asbestos only to find out that replacement materials were put back in that had asbestos. And that was all legal. There's there's nothing there that was done that was illegal. And, and specifically, it was uh, floor tiles and mastics uh, that had been put in this building. And those still are legal today. Uh, you won't find many of them 
on the shelves uh, in this country because of product liability concerns, but there's, there is nothing to prevent uh, someone from importing uh, vinyl floor tiles that contain asbestos and having you purchase them and put them into your home or your place of business. And materials that contain less than 1% wouldn't even be subject to a regulation anyway. So, and what the 1% from everything I've learned is kind of an arbitrary number. It's not, it's really not a health-based number. You know, it's like, it's, it was based more on detection limits, right? Where you could actually uh, analyze. So it's like, that's a number to look for. So we get, there's, there's literally probably tons of products on the marketplace that are less than 1%, but still contain asbestos that we're not even talking about. Well, let's clarify that 1% is in that sample that was tested, right? So Correct. vermiculite is an easy example. So you can go up to an addict that has vermiculite and test it and be like, oh, well, that sample had less than 1%. So that means the whole attic must be okay. And clearly that's not the case. That one, that one small sample is what you're making your assessment on. Yeah. I'm going to, th I'll throw a pity slide in the chat. So that is a really big problem with asbestos because you really can't see, taste, touch, or smell those invisible fibers. And we, this, this happens all the time where somebody wants to go into their attic and I've worked with Brent on this. They want to go in their attic and do repairs or put junk inside. They don't know, or maybe they do know if they have zonalite insulation that it could be uh, a health risk to them. So along the way, there's a cost factor. If you find asbestos, that is not the gift that you want because it keeps on giving. There's a cost, you may move out, you'll have to disclose, you could have, your family could be at risk. So we don't incentivize understanding where asbestos is. We've had conversations with members of Congress and I've asked, could you just incentivize abatement? Because why are we, it's, we've known for over 100 years asbestos was linked to disease. Why don't we encourage people to do it the right way? It is, I've testified in front of Congress, it is cheaper to do it wrong and expose people and pay the fine than to do it right. And that is a wrong message to send to anyone. And you guys all do it right. But there are people that find asbestos and they don't have the dollars to hire you. They don't, they can't quickly test asbestos. People ask, hey, Linda, can I test it myself? I'm like, no, you need to hire a trained professional. How long will it take? And there is a lag. And Brent, you've always helped me to get the right person in that city to go in. But there is a cost in time and dollars. Um, but there's no cost greater than losing a loved one like Emily and I endured watching Alan literally die in front of us. So that's, that's part of, I think, what we have to do is pull back the curtain. Yes, it's a Pandora's box. We have to admit to that. But it shouldn't be so punitive. We, could, we can do a better job in our country to tell people where it is and what to do. And I think that's why for us that our No Asbestos website, which Brent's organization helped us build and, and others, we, we aggregated um, agency information so you can find the latest on EPA, ASTS, ASTD, ATSDR, other organizations in OSHA. So one-stop shopping makes it a little easier to try to mitigate and hopefully work to eliminate all asbestos exposures. Well, the one thing yeah, that you, sorry, uh, you, you mentioned um, that is that one thing most people see is these ads that are on TV. Um, and I was wondering if you guys could just give us some insight as to, uh, if you don't know, that's actually, those are legal firms that are trying to take your case. So I just want to know if you could highlight something about if people feel they've been exposed is, um, is that a good, bad, or um, something they should avoid? Uh, um, is something that, you know, yes, that, that those companies are reputable, or maybe you should find somebody privately to help you with your cause? Well, 
first off, if somebody is exposed, they have to have a conversation with their physician. That is the most important thing. If you've ever been exposed or diagnosed with cancer, you, you need to get the, 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 a trained expert to truly um, find, to give you that medical advice. So we encourage, I put the wrong slide in the chat, Joe, disregard that. I was trying to throw the pity okay. slide there. We would encourage everyone to talk to their doctor, have that honest discussion. If they were exposed, what, what's the background? You are seeking legal justice is, is, is part of our constitution. It's our seventh amendment. Um, I don't think every law firm is a great law firm and I'll probably get a hit for that. I think people should do their due diligence. Um, and I think that that's, we have to educate people. The 1-800, you know, call me ads at 11 o'clock, I think at times do an injustice to the diseases. And I know Brent's going to want to chime in too. My mother one time, um, you know, I've been working with, I started ADO with Doug 16 years ago. My mother called me probably five years ago. And she says, Linda Marie, I'm so excited. I heard your commercial uh, at the end of the news. And I said, mom, no, that's not ADIO. That's a law firm. So we still have a misunderstanding when we call out to people exposed. We obviously want to work to get, have no one exposed, but if you are exposed, have a conversation with your doctor. Don't go on living your life because maybe exposure doesn't link you to disease. And if you, if you are ill, I think you should seek the advice of a lawyer because it is because of Clarence Burrell in the seventies. Um, and Brent, you met the Burrell family I think that one year, Clarence Burrell was a landmark case about liability in the 70s. He didn't live long enough to know that his Supreme Court case would change asbestos use. But ultimately, companies were found liable. And that is why in the early 70s, we were importing as much as 800,000 tons. And we have gradually reduced our, our, obviously, the consumer side of it because companies get sued. They are liable. But it, but oh, it's over... I anticipate, and with my research, which I haven't published yet, we will exceed last year's raw asbestos imports this year. We will exceed them. So we're not doing a good job. So, and it is outrageous. Sure. Grr. Uh, it is outrageous. And in fact, uh, just, just to stand back from it and, and, and take a look, if, if you weren't sure if asbestos and asbestos exposure in this country was a problem, those ads that you described, Joe, ought to tell you it is a problem. If, if the law firms uh, have enough clients and enough income that they can afford to run ads constantly on television, you know it's real, you know people are being exposed, you know people are being injured, and they're seeking justice for their clients. Uh, so yeah, uh, the, the exposure is real, the diseases are real, and uh, because uh, it's preventable and because uh, companies were found to uh, know that asbestos was dangerous and they kept to use it kept using it in their products they face liability concerns well you know, uh, just just to give you a little personal insight for my family so my uncle passed away from mesothelioma back in the late 60s okay. and he was a, uh, a a pipe worker working in the shipyards so he was in you know high exposure and i think many people out there may uh you know i think the believe that the asbestos problem is more of a problem for the workers that handle heavy amounts. And certainly, you know, that I think that is the case, but, but this is something that affects every one of us, right? We're all, we're all potentially exposed. 
So Bob, that's really important for people to understand. And Brent's come to our staff briefing. We have had 15 of them. We usually have a patient come in and share their story because Mike Matt Mueller, who was a lovely, loyal volunteer and his family, um, was diagnosed, I think, when he was about 34. He died this April at 38 years old. He's behind a young wife and four-year-old daughter. Um, so no, you don't have to be older like my husband, Alan, to be diagnosed with a disease. It is unfortunate because you have to be like a forensic scientist to go back and to look at exposure histories. If I asked you three, what did you guys have for breakfast three weeks ago? Could you tell me? Unlikely. I like I unless I tell you I have coffee for breakfast, I wouldn't know. But the exposure histories are really important to understand. If we can't go back, if physician if physicians don't take good medical records uh, when they diagnose a patient, we can't learn from those those pathways. And I think that's important. We talk about take home exposure. And, and Clarence Burrell actually wore asbestos home on his clothing. We actually met his, his son and I'm happy to put a video in there. His, his na name is Bracey Burrell, he's still alive. He lives in Missouri and Bracey, is in his 80s now and he would tell me his dad came home with white asbestos on his clothing he didn't know to change his clothing he would hug his wife his wife would do the laundry many times we have take-home exposure where the children hug their parents the wives do the clothing um, and there is secondary exposure i think for this show your show is all about healthy indoors i want to look at your the shelves in your home i want to think about what products you have because right now it's all about cosmetic talc and that might be something you have on your shelves. That is the tip of the iceberg that gets the media's attention. And I always try to tell them it's far greater than that. But I want to think about what we put in our homes, not only as materials, but also on consumer shelves and in our cars. Because legacy uh, is, is, can be found in so many different places. And maybe Brent and Joe and Bob, we could work on that together. Um, I just saw yesterday or the day before, there was a Google alert that J&J is going to settle 1,000 clash action suits uh, for their talcum powder with $100 million. Um, and maybe that sounds like a lot of money for 1,000 people. It's not. It's a pittance. But that, yeah, it's a pittance. Exactly. Exactly. And so all of the news right now is about Johnson and Johnson, and that is not the only place where you can be exposed to asbestos. So creating a better circle of knowledge is really important. So healthy homes is, is huge, but also consumer safety. Um, we can't stop with just what's in our homes. Unfortunately, the FDA regulates cosmetics and personal care products. EPA does not under Tosca. And the average person just wants to pick up their coffee cup like me in the morning and know everything around it and inside is safe. And it's not that easy in the United States. You know, actually, actually the, the FDA doesn't doesn't regulate cosmetics. That, yeah, that's another story we could get right. into. That stuff is wide open Wild West where you're, you're there's full of carcinogens. <laughs> That's another story. One thing I do but want to address. They have the jurisdiction. They have the jurisdiction, though, over EPA. Clearly, it's but they don't. Yeah, yeah but they most don't. of the no, report. Yeah, most of the self report. Are, yeah, it's all good. Good luck with that. So, um, so one of the things that I know people will Google, or if they're trying to do this, one of the things, uh, first things that pops up is that um, asbestos fibers are natural, and depends on where you live, you could be exposed to them in general. So I want to make sure we address that, so that uh, other people got the full story during this time frame. So can you guys talk about that, you know, what, where asbestos really comes from and um, what's the difference between what I breathe in Washington state and what I actually get from tearing apart, you know, a, a pipe wrap on my house? Sure. So yes, asbestos is a naturally occurring mineral. It's, it's mined from the ground uh, and it sets up in certain geological formations. And 
for that reason, uh, uh, you know, one could be doing excavation somewhere and run into naturally occurring asbestos. And they're, they're, you know, if someone wanted to Google that, uh, you'll, you'll find a bunch of different stories and uh, places all over the country uh, where uh, naturally occurring asbestos uh, uh, has created an exposure concern. Uh, you know, if, if we could ban the use of asbestos in products and the import of asbestos, I think we could manage the naturally occurring asbestos. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's only when it's disturbed, when, when someone does some excavation and runs into it, that it could potentially become an exposure concern uh, for people. Uh, but, you know, we'll find a lot of, um, uh, Linda knows well of uh, a lot of different factories around the country, one in Ambler, Pennsylvania, uh, where they, they used asbestos to, in the manufacture of products and there are tailings or waste from the manufacture of those products still left years after the factory is closed and it's become an EPA Superfund site now. Uh, but the, the tailings are still there. So if someone were to uh, find their way on the other side of this fence, which is supposed to be, keep people out, and uh, let's you know imagine a bunch of young kids going over there wanting to ride their bike or play or climb that big cool mountain of whatever it is there. It's asbestos, by the way. Uh, no. Yeah. Well, the one thing I do want to make sure is that asbestos was the, our, um, the world's first miracle product. I mean, it was until we realized that it was hazardous. I mean, it was used in, in, in Greece and in ancient Egypt. Uh, they had tablecloths that survived fires and, you know, people were using it as special robes, you know, firefighters. This was a miracle solution that they could actually go into a fire and you know, not burn up. And uh, I, uh, you know, there's lots of pictures of people making these fire suits. So if there's a time that we thought this was the first amazing product that we had, it, it clearly oversaw plastics and all kinds of stuff until we realized that now it's not. Um, and that's one of our challenges that we, we were using it so widely uh, in building materials and just general uh, clothing uh, that now we need to figure out a way to uh, change the the view of that this is no longer acceptable. We've gotten there, but that's why we all think it's gone. So it's really kind of a sad state that we think we fixed the problem that's still occurring. Yeah, and, I think that's a general and, consensus and too. People do think that. There, I think is uh, is the the latency period from exposure to the onset of disease uh, uh, it creates some um, let's say laziness in the way we deal with this because uh, if if you're, you're exposed and it's not till 30 years later that you develop a disease, uh, it, it is, as Linda said, it's hard to track where that exposure might have been. You know, if, if people were exposed and were uh, suffering the ill consequences immediately, I think maybe we, we could find, um, find the votes necessary to pass the asbestos ban bill that's before the House of Representatives right now. Uh, but that's not the case. Natural occurring asbestos, I think is important, especially for some states like on the West Coast, California. It is in serpentine, it can, serpentine is a host rock for chrysotile. So obviously for earthquake faults and whatnot, you can, you can find serpentine. In fact, it's our state rock. It is our state rock. And it was designated our state rock because uh, lobbyists in 65 promoted that to um, Governor Brown. So I think it's important for us to look back in time. There's a housing track in El Dorado Hills in, in the Northern California area. They knew that there was um, chrysotile 
and they, it was very um, an affluent area and they wanted to build more homes. And if there's no responsibility uh, for digging it up and exposing people, then builders can do that. So in California, we have a CARB 435 regulation. You guys know how all this stuff works. But the average person, not all states has that. And it, and you know, even in El Dorado Hills, it was a problem. In our bill, we actually require an aggregate low level of testing so that we don't have natural occurring asbestos being a problem. Because homeowners don't have any idea of the geology, the morphology of rocks below. And it's, it's so misleading. Um, Arianite in Las Vegas, uh, in Nevada, can also be obviously cause cancer. We have taconite in the Minnesota area. So, you know, the asbestos six fiber types that are commercially called asbestos in a bundle aren't the only ones that can cause suffering and disease. In fact, in our bill, we're adding uh, winchite and richterite to the ban because it's important that material, those fibers could be found in the zonalite attic insulation. Um, and it's, it's a complicated problem. So why are we still allowing people to import and use it? Like, let's start here and work on stopping the imports, working on the legacy, and obviously holding people accountable, like chemical companies to report. So I have the, uh, one of the loaded questions that occurs with building materials is that I'll bring the, the image back up that talks about this looks a whole lot like um, fiberglass insulation when I zoom in on them. So um, I know fiberglass spent a lot of money uh, explaining why they were not a health hazard. They are uh, an, um, a reactionary uh, condition, so they can actually, uh, they're not necessarily healthy in any way, but they were not cancerous. So I was wondering if you guys can explain briefly the difference between you know, fiberglass and asbestos and why one is considered to be okay and in most of our homes and the other one has been banned in theory from, uh, from fiberglass, from insulation. Well, uh, you know, so, so far studies uh, have not indicated that, that fiberglass is, is cancer causing. And there are those that say that one of, one of the reasons is likely because of the way that asbestos uh, breaks down. So when, when you have an asbestos fiber and, and you were looking at a microscopic picture of it before, when, when that fiber breaks down, it breaks down into even thinner and smaller fibrils. Uh, and, and so the, the fibers can get very small and they get past our body's natural defenses. When fiberglass breaks, uh, it breaks uh, uh, across um, uh, the, the, the length of the uh, fiberglass as opposed to breaking lengthwise like asbestos does. Uh, that may, some people say that's the reason that fiberglass doesn't get embedded in the depths of our lungs the same way that asbestos does. Uh, but We've got, you know, the other properties of asbestos that are substantially different than than fiberglass, uh, which I think, uh, you know, cause the body's reaction and create the cancer. I mean, there's certainly a question, though, um, of just the scarring and the damage of fi fibers in general, right? I mean, you're still, you know, high levels of, you know, breathing fiberglass certainly will cause scarring and lung, lung damage, you know, I mean, and, and that seems to be another one of the elephants in the room that nobody will talk about because we have that everywhere. And, you know, it's not going anywhere in, in the near future. Cause I, back in the, in the nineties, I was bringing that up in the air duct cleaning industry a lot because we use fibrous, you know, uh, glass, vitreous glass fiber, you know, fiberglass um, in ductwork in the United States. We're one of the few countries that puts it in the airstream. Um, oh my, why? I guess it's a uh, better first cost. You know, I, I just had to jump on that. It had nothing to do with asbestos. But the point is, it, it seems like in general, we all too often, in my opinion, um, side with 
corporate business interest over the safety of people. Thoughts? <laughs> well, nobody should ever be at risk for breathing a known carcinogen. And we've known for over 100 years that asbestos was linked to disease. So there's no amount of, of, of corporate greed that should ever validate someone being exposed in my humble opinion. Um, and safer substitutes exist in uh, USGS has been writing that for decades. And you are the professionals, you three are professionals and your colleagues are that have known this and worked on it for such a long time. Oh, I just was happened to throw some, I was trying to throw the pity side in, uh, but this, I gave a presentation yesterday for law students and this was actually shrink wrap designed in Russia touting that it was approved by Donald Trump, 45th president. And behind that are bags of chrysotile asbestos. You can see the green, it'll say asbestos. And that is in, comes from Russia. So with this kind of propaganda and misinformation, it, it allows us to understand, not to validate, but understand with misinformation, disinformation and propaganda, why are we still mining asbestos? But if you see Donald Trump's face on it in Russia, you might think that's a good old thing to keep doing. Clearly, and, it's not. and that and that was the you know in, in you know in all fairness that was the company in Russia putting that logo on there. Um, you know, I'm Correct. pretty certain that Donald Trump didn't personally endorse it. But but yeah, we ran that that meme actually on uh, Healthy Indoors a while back when it came out because I found it for the same reason you did, Linda. I think it's it's startling and striking and just uh, horrifying all at once. You know that. You know, here it is literally pallets of asbestos uh, get, getting shipped somewhere still. <laughs> yeah, we found that we uh, released we were able to turn it into a story because it was right before the Trump Putin summit. Um, but, you know, Russia will claim that they have no disease in asbestos. That's the town that mines it. And there, it's a very elaborate mining operation that, I mean, they have the trains that move it out. I mean, there's so much money. They actually do a Chrysotile Appreciation Day. Brent, you're gonna smile because you probably remember that. Literally, they get up there and they hold up a piece of paper. Here's my paper towel. And they say that I'm not sick from asbestos and I work here, Chrysotile Appreciation Day. So with that kind of stuff, I'll, be, I'll you just use the word stuff as my word. That makes it really difficult to figure out what what's true and what's not. So that's why I think your organizations and the work that you do is really hard for us to disseminate better information, easy to understand, something we can share. We do a lot with graphics. Obviously, I turned on my PowerPoint slides yesterday because I, I haven't finished for the students, but it's really important to have a picture that explains it because how can you explain asbestos? What is it? Where is it? What do you do in 30 seconds? Can you really tell everyone in your circle what to do and do they understand? Will they feel like their their home could could violate, the, you know, jeopardize their safety? It's hard. Well, it's a hard well, especially especially the way people in general, you know, short attention span ingest information now. Uh, you know, the, we are in the world of sound bites. Things have changed. Uh, and, and, you know, recognizing that, I think it is important to have those snippets and those, you know, quick infographics and things that are almost self-explanatory. You know, it, because I, it, admittedly, uh, you know, I'm in the industry, I'm a publisher in the industry, and I wasn't even aware of the extent of how much asbestos is still being brought into the country. You know, it's just, it's mind boggling. 
one of the other challenges is that you are in a, a long list of many other chemicals that people are freaking out about, like uh, PFAS and forever chemicals and their impact on water and, uh, you know, uh, from, uh, military again, and uh, all things are using for, um, they're in a lot of our chemicals in our house, but they're also in a major, um, the foam that they use to put out fires and all that stuff gets, you know, used in the water supply. So that is one of the things I see regularly on my feeds. And you guys get pushed below because or you've been around for a while or all asbestos again. And meanwhile, they're trying to bring cause to this other thing that also got ignored by Congress. So um, I think there is a challenge of, you know, we, we're not, we keep thinking that we, America is a great place to live. But the reality is we do not um, keep our citizens safe. And that, that just keeps showing up regularly. Well, see, Linda and Brent, I'll pose this to both of you. I mean, do you, you think part of it is that it's that legacy asbestos. I think people believe that asbestos was a problem. We banned it. You know, this is the general opinion, I think, in the public. You know, it's like, so yeah, we don't have any new asbestos really. You know, once in a while, some gypsum board comes in or something, but, you know, we're not really, you know, so we're, we're just addressing what's in place and there's mechanisms, you know, states regulated, federal regulations. You know, it's all, I think people, you know, are, have been lulled into the belief that it's being managed and it's under control. And this is not an ongoing, continuing problem that's, you know, we're compounding. And how do we change well, you're that? Right. Well, I mean, there's a couple levels. I mean, at a consumer level, at a worker's level, and then at a lawmaker level. When Brent stood there, he's done, we've done presentations for staffers. And when we say, or Mike used to say, you know, this happened to me and I'm only 37, these staffers sit up straight in their chairs because we have to do a better job articulating it because the latency period, the old man disease, none of that's true. In fact, I was writing about it in 2007 about how the women that I was becoming to know after we started ADO were being diagnosed more with peritoneal mesothelioma. And I asked one of my doctors, I said, I actually think it's from personal care products and tampons. What, what's the science? And he, at first it was kind of like, no, Linda, I couldn't. Now we know in talc, that that is a problem. And I was writing about that in 2007. Um, so we have to do a better job. The, these kinds of shows, I hope that we don't scare your 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 listeners and, and your viewers. I hope that we can yeah, but we should. them with knowledge. We should, we should though, Linda. I mean, it's and again, you know, our, our, our viewer base, are obviously some general consumers, but a lot of industry people. And I think industry people are in the dark on this. People that are not specifically working in the asbestos side of the indoor environmental industry, um, myself included. I, you know, I'm an IAQ guy who doesn't do asbestos. So, you know, I, I didn't know a lot of this information before attending EIA's conferences. I really didn't. So what are we going to do about it? Let's think action. So, you know, Doug and I used to always say, because our loved ones were impacted by mesothelioma and died, let's turn our anger into action. So what can people do? They can drive themselves to your websites. That's great. They can follow us on social media. Just right now today, somebody could go to Twitter and I'll throw in my hat. They could share a fact that they learned today. Start with educating your, your own circle. And then more importantly, join us, join us with a newsletter and online because we need your help to pass the bill. We had a hiccup, that's a nice word, last week. And we have to get our legislation back on track and let members know that we have two and a half months left of this Congress and we want to use every hour, day and week to pass the bill. No one ever deserves to die like Alan or Mike or anyone else. And we have a moral and ethical responsibility. So many people that have come to our briefings that Brent has met, like Anna Marie, Michael Bradley, Mike, these people fought hard to ban asbestos. They're gone now. 
So we owe it to all of them to use our voices and our communities to raise awareness and obviously change policy. Oh, hey, Joe, thank you. You're good, Joe. Can you He's fast. Me? He really is. Yeah, I, I could only pay you with my gratitude, but that's Wait, great. No, me too. That's all, I right only here. pay him with gratitude. He, he accepts right. that. We're, now we're I'm good. following you. There you go. Great. Cool. I'll go back and figure it out. Brent, what else? You have that great book, Brent. Where you were, Linda, you know, we have, um, uh, and, and you've heard me say this before, Linda, so uh, it's, it's, it's old news to you, but we've got this, this organization uh, that was set up in our country to, to try and protect us. Uh, it's called the Environmental Protection Agency. And, and yet they're not really doing a great job of protecting us. Uh, and Joe, you mentioned that earlier. And in fact, so we had these revisions to the Toxic Substances Control Act uh, that, that really gave EPA the tools necessary to ban asbestos, uh, as well as a bunch of other harmful uh, chemicals. And yet uh, EPA can't seem to find their way around to a ban on asbestos. So then you get uh, uh, Linda with the help of a lot of other people introducing this bill in both the House and the Senate to ban asbestos because, hey, we gave EPA the tools, but they don't seem to know how to use the tools. So we're just gonna go and we're gonna go a different direction and try and get Congress to just ban it outright. Well, the, the bill in the House passed out of committee with a vote of 47 to one, 47 to one, huge bipartisan support as one would expect. But we can't get it brought to the House floor for a variety of different reasons. Uh, and it, Linda, that's what Linda was describing as the hiccup last week. But we, we can't seem to get it uh, to go to the floor for a vote. And with that kind of bipartisan support, you really would love to rush things through. But, you know, we've, we've faced a lot of other uh, seemingly more important things uh, in this country in the last, well, since this bill came out of committee. So. Brent, you have a you have a thing here called the uh, Purple Book. Can you elaborate on your uh, Purple oh, sure. Book? Yeah, sure. So in in um, in nineteen eighty seven, excuse me, nineteen eighty five, uh, the EPA came out with uh, a book that had a purple cover on it, <laughs> and it was called uh, uh, "Managing Asbestos in Buildings," and uh, it became uh, affectionately known as the Purple Book because uh, EPA produced a lot of different guidance materials on asbestos. They weren't passing regulations about asbestos so much as providing guidance materials, uh, which, which uh, you know, you didn't have the, the framework for enforcement around guidance materials. But that book was, was quite good because it was really aimed at building owners and property managers. And it said, if, if you have a building uh, and uh, you think you might have asbestos, here's what you should do. It really was a step-by-step -step guide. Here's how you hire someone to conduct an inspection. If they find asbestos, here's what you do to try and make sure that the asbestos in your building uh, doesn't become unsafe until you can get to a place where you can uh, perform an asbestos abatement project. And here's how you hire an asbestos abatement contractor. Well, the, the EPA uh, came to the Environmental Information Association uh, back in about 2011 and said, uh, uh, can you ask the professionals in your organization, do you think we need to update this guidance material that was produced in 1985 by EPA? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the simple answer was yes. 
Uh, we do think it should be updated. And by the way, we're happy to uh, engage uh, the minds in our organization to try and make that thing a reality. We'll we'll put it to put it to put everybody to work, and we did that. And we brought it back to EPA in 2013, but we were uh, we were facing right at that time the ravages of uh, sequestration and budget cuts. And uh, EPA said, we're not able to do anything to publish this guidance material. So uh, Joe, if you don't mind sticking that back up there again, we produced, we self, self-published this, the Environmental Information Association, and it is, uh, it is an update of EPA's guidance from 1985. And it, it, it updates with all of the new um, uh, regulations that have now, the updates to both OSHA and uh, EPA regulations that have taken place since that original uh, guidance book. So it's an updated guidance and we're very, very proud of it. And it is offered uh, online. You can go to our website and get it. And there's a discount if you wanna buy more than one, you can buy it as a as an electronic PDF file or you can buy it in hard copy and we'll ship it to you. I mean, the, the big thing- It's a great resource, Brent. We, we, you know, so, so where do we go? You know, we're, we're, we're getting to the end of the hour, and, but w- what can we do? How do we move this forward? Obviously, this pending legislation you know, th- that you're, you're trying to move forward in the House um, is critical. I mean, I think it's critical. We're one of the few countries that haven't banned asbestos. Is that correct? At least in, in our sphere of uh, supposedly developed countries. And, and, and I don't understand that. Well, I do understand it, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, but how, how, do we, how do we get this over the hump? How do we make this happen? Well, I know Brent and I would both would love to have you guys follow us online and subscribe to newsletters. Brent's really good about sharing my stuff. Um, I'm happy to put a link in there to subscribe to our newsletter. I mean, this month is perfect. It's October Health Literacy Month. And today I have to post a blog. I'm late, but it's, it's all about prevention. So you can thank your clients who have invested in your companies to do work and share, you know, something about prevention. We have to work on it as a prevention and a policy level, there are two prongs there. And I, I think we have to work together. Uh, shaming the corporations doesn't work. They, they have a lot of money and clearly Brent and, and, and I don't in the sense of, of fighting off lawsuits, but there's so much we can do just with, with simple graphics. And maybe Bob, if it feels right to you, I could put together, including Brent's PowerPoint, a quick PowerPoint of slides we talked about today to That'd give people the visuals. Yeah, and then they can join us online. We'll put the emails and stuff because this is great to have a conversation. I hope everybody is angry. And, and I know you, I said I didn't want to scare people. And you said, what's wrong with fear? Well, maybe you're right. Maybe we need to show pictures of Alan, what it was like for poor Alan and Emily when she stood over her father. And educate people with the whole uh, holistic circle of asbestos and what the disease is. We can do better. And we owe it to America to do better today, tomorrow, and our future. And um, I look forward to working with all of you. Yeah, Bob, and I, I uh, picking up on that, I, I think uh, Linda's used the word education. I think that's step number one. I, I think the more that we can do, uh, the collective we uh, can do to let uh, the, the average person in our country know and realize asbestos has not been banned. And in fact, that in itself, in my opinion, is a crime. And it is, it is something we ought to change. We have the ability to change it but until people scream and stand up and say, uh, you know, I'm angry and I'm not going to take this anymore, uh, uh, it's, it's just not going to happen. Uh, so we've got to somehow uh, try to develop a groundswell 
of, of, of understanding and education that then uh, th that in itself will cause uh, a rise up uh, to force our elected leaders to finally address what should have been addressed long ago. Yeah, we, we definitely need to do a lot more and we need to do it now. You know, it, this, this is absurd that we continue to, you know, kind of kick collectively as a country to kick the can forward and not really address this head on. Um, you know, and to that end, you know, Healthy Indoors, we've, we've covered asbestos articles, obviously, since our inception uh, seven years ago. But we, we're looking to do more. And, we, you know, Linda, you know, we really do want to share more of your information and be another at least vehicle of dissemination for information to try to get it out there and educate people. You know, so it, Joe, you always have your wrap up question, so I'm sure it's coming. Yes, you beat me to it. That's right. So so uh, what I'm looking for is just something that the, the listener um, can have as a takeaway as the, you know, and I will bring up your advocacy uh, concept here as you talk about that. But in general, um, you know, what is it that you would hope that, that they took away as the, the main focus from this? So I will leave it at that and let you uh, have that. Linda, why don't you go first? Well, quick. Sure. I mean, asbestos caused diseases are all preventable. So we would encourage you to learn more so you can protect yourself and your family and join the efforts to shape policy to ban asbestos and keep the education and conversation going on. And we'd love to have you follow our organization so that we can keep working to, as Brent says, in the collective we. Each, each life lost to a preventable cause disease is tragic. Hundreds of thousands is unconscionable. And yes, I am angry. And I will go in, in a different direction. I would say uh, people can take care of themselves as well. Be careful. Uh, before you disturb anything in your home, uh, before you replace your hot water heater, before you replace your uh, heating and air conditioning system, before you replace plumbing pipes, before you tear up an old floor in your basement to put to refinish your basement, be smart. Bring a professional in to test these materials. Uh, don't don't just go in and create a mess for yourself and your family. Uh, and, and you may be surprised at the number of items in your home that might contain asbestos. Uh, you know, we've talked about uh, talcum powder, but, uh, that, you know, I'm thinking of building type materials as well. And so be smart, be safe uh, and, and educate yourself uh, before you create a problem for yourself and your family. Well, I'll go along with that. Even homes that are newer, just because your home isn't built in the 50s or 60s doesn't mean that you still don't have that kind of exposure. There's a lot of uh, drywall that's not manufactured here, and we don't know what's between those two pieces of paper. So uh, here in Colorado, they actually have a condition that's um, uh, if your home was built before 1990, that you should be testing before you do any kind of um, alterations. So it isn't just older homes that have this type of risk. Yeah. Yep. That and the joint compound too. I mean, that, and that's, yeah. you know, gypsum board and, and joint compound are in pretty much every building in our, our country and potentially, uh, you know, latent materials are there. Um, so, you know, Joe, uh, Joe, again, is with Hayward Score. And tell us a little bit about that. So Hayward Score is a free online uh, uh, tool that you can help you determine if your home is impacting your health, like with a potentially asbestos conditions, or if it is something that's keeping your home healthy. So it's a free online tool. You can go to haywardscore.com and get that. And we do have a variety of conditions about mostly based on your home, which is before 1990 and where you may live, that we give you conditions about if you're going to remodel, as I said, uh, make sure you're being cautious and actually test those conditions um, before you actually tear things apart. So uh, this is a v valuable message that is often forgotten about, that these things are 
are staring us in the face and they're fine if left untouched. It's when you start, uh, you know, remodeling that you could actually come across multiple issues. And, uh, you know, that's we great to know. Well, that's great to know, Joe. So thank you. I've never heard of Hayward score before, so I apologize. Let's, let's, let's do a better job. Thank you for sharing. Sure. So um, with Healthy Indoors Magazine, uh, which is kind of my ballywick, um, we've, we've been uh, producing a free digital publication, monthly uh, publication since uh, mid-2013. So we're in the start of our, our eighth year. Um, again, you can, get, you can get a free subscription to the magazine, to the digital edition uh, worldwide um, at uh, healthyindoors.com. It's also our, our repository for um, all the information we've been archiving for these years, articles, videos, um, white papers, uh, resources. Um, this is also where we primarily stream the Healthy Indoors show, but it also goes to many other portals, uh, Facebook streams, YouTube. We push it all pretty much globally through a lot of social media outlets. And uh, we do have a podcast, which is uh, basically a, a companion audio uh, cast from uh, this show every week. Uh, so if you can't bear to look at Joe and I face-to-face uh, -face for 60 minutes, you're more than welcome to listen to our golden voices and those of our guests that way. Um, so Healthy Indoors also will shortly, and I mean very shortly, be releasing our new global edition. It'll be a quarterly digital uh, publication uh, that is less U.S.-centric and more global-focused on stories from around the planet on uh, indoor environmental issues, um, in addition to our rebranded USA edition of Healthy Indoors that's available monthly. So with all that, um, I, I really have to thank L Linda and Brent for taking time out of your day to come on to discuss this really, really important topic that we need to keep, or at least push to the forefront. I shouldn't say keep in the forefront. I don't think it's in the forefront. It needs to be in the forefront. This is an important issue. This is preventable. This is, it's disgraceful in my mind. People, people who, uh, who end up dying from asbestos-related diseases this is avoidable. No excuse. So, you know, thank you for everything you guys are doing. Um, and uh, again, thank you for uh, pushing this message forward. So we look forward to uh, uh, helping you uh, get this information out more. So um, for the Healthy Indoors Show and Healthy Indoors Magazine, I'm Bob Krell. We will see you next week, same time, same pat channel on the Healthy Indoors Show. <laughs>